This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, April 30th of 2020, it's episode 177. In this episode, a discussion of when one or more players know the GM's plans, plus our favorite and least favorite college courses and why, changes to our gaming schedule, relieving anxiety at the game table, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And how is everybody doing? <sighs> that summed it up. Good job. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. I've got a bunch of gaming stuff to talk about as kind of a news update, but Peter, you want to go first? Give everybody kind of an update on sure. relevant so things? I'm, I'm finding myself to be a little low on spoons lately. So I have cut my Sunday game back to a bi-weekly schedule. I'm still going to be running it, but it's going to be every other week. Some of the members of that group may be doing some stuff in the interim. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to be participating in that yet. I may just use the extra time to do prep work or just decompress. Um, but I've I've got a really good group of guys there and also our... Um, well, it's not all guys anymore. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the, the newest addition to the, the party is a woman, and she's from our Saturday gaming group, and she's a great addition. But I I want to keep running the game. I just don't really seem to have, like, the mental resources to do it every single week for four hours. So, yeah, I've pulled back a little on that. Um, other than that, not a whole lot of interesting stuff going on with me. Actually, you know what? No, I take that back. So, you know how a few episodes back, Grant, you and I talked about how we were both kind of reading some Robert E. Howard just independent of each other? Yes. For some reason, I don't know what brought this on, but I've just been kind of like, craving is probably the, the best word I can think of. I've just been really having a hankering to go back and check out some of like the seminal classic fantasy works. So... I found a decent deal on the first book of the Elric saga, which I know is a little darker than what I usually like to read, but it's so influential that I figured, you know, I might as well just try reading one. So I've got a copy of that on the way, and I'm going to give that a try and see how far I get. So that's interesting. I am doing the same thing with comics. Really? Okay. I have never been a comics reader, but I was kind of... I was listening to a podcast that I'm going to say the name of it. Understand. I love this, this podcast. It may be problematic for a lot of the listeners to this show because they, uh, they curse a lot. They don't shy away from politics. Uh, you know, they, there's a lot going on there. Okay. Okay. Uh, foul language, but I love it. It's called marveling at Marvel's Marvels. And what, what it is, it's, uh, one comics nerd, like, knows all this comic stuff, okay? All right. Introducing his friend who knows nothing about comics except what he's seen to comic book characters. Interesting. And it's great. It really is good. The moderator for it also has a show where they review horror movies called Werewolf Ambulance. If you like horror movies, also a good show. All right. Anyway, I've been listening to this. I love it. They do a great job. And they had a little throwaway line of, oh, you know, such and such run was great. And then I was also listening to a 
a, a different podcast that I occasionally listen to about comics because I'm not a comics guy. I've never really read comics except for like the Sandman series, but I've always enjoyed comics and other media. Grew up with the X-Men cartoon and the Iron Man cartoon and the Fantastic Four cartoon, right? I grew up, you know, watching various different car uh, comic book movies, playing video games based on this stuff. It's just sort of been in popular culture. So I've always been curious. Well, I finally decided, you know, they keep talking about so-and-so's legendary run on this series. Or, oh, this, this miniseries was great. Oh, this run was excellent. I'm like, you know what? Our library has a bunch of comic book trades. I'm going to see if I can borrow some of those. Oh, look, they're all in the digital uh, lending library. Sweet. So can I recommend something to you now that you've kind of cracked the seal on that medium and then can i recommend something after peter <laughs> yes okay so i want you to go find a comic trade paper called astro city confession uh-huh it is one of my favorite stories period okay uh one of the comic one of the podcasts i listen to about this is um uh dial g for gamer okay uh, which I think has a very vague connection to Fear the Boot. I don't remember exactly how. Yeah, I, I want to say there's maybe been some crossover or something. I, I don't, don't know. I don't I'm... remember, right? It's been a long time. But that one of their little sub-series about that is Welcome to Astro City. Okay. So it, they have an Astro City podcast, basically. So I see uh, at least 16, 17 volumes of Astro City, but I don't necessarily see that particular It one. was a very, very early story arc. Basically, it follows this kid who comes to the city to join the superhero community and all of the stuff that happens to him along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a bunch I of Astro City. Don't I'll wanna, see if I can borrow I that. I don't want to spoil it, but it's like... It's so good. It's, mm -hmm. it's really... Um, very kind to Christianity, which I appreciated. It's wonderful. I, I just I I don't want to I don't want to spoil even like the tiniest details or even some of the early stuff in there. It's one of those things where like playing Gone Home, the less, you know, going in, the better. Mm -hmm. But it still stands up really well to repeated readings afterwards. And the, the other thing that's really cool is. At the end of the graphic novel that they did, where they compiled all the individual issues of this comic, they have another story called The Nearness of You, which is a really neat kind of supernatural and alternate timeline story featuring ah. a, a character called the Hanged Man, who is like this weird, mysterious hero that kind of guards this neighborhood in Astro City. And that's also really, really good and fits thematically with the other stuff in there. So very cool. Yeah, go check that out. Um, I, I make the same recommendation to her. If you like this podcast, you will almost certainly like that storyline. Fair enough. Um, it's, it's really, really good. Okay, Jenny, you had something. Okay, my recommendation, since you are getting into, like, superhero comics, no one ever talks about X-Factor, and that is a crying freaking shame, especially the government team. Marveling at Marvel's Marvels talks about X-Factor all the time. Okay, good. Thank you, good. Because the government team is the best. There's an entire subplot about a jar of mayonnaise in the first issue of the new X-Factor. So... What? 
You think I am joking. I am not. No, I don't think you're joking. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to imagine what that would look like. Is this uh, the 2005 to 2013 series? No, 1991 to 1998. Okay, that all they have is the um, the Peter David, Dennis Calero, Ryan Sook, uh, 05 to 2013 okay. run. Okay, uh, here this is in still, my, it in is my still local Peter library. David. Okay, it is still Peter David. Um, uh, it is It is obviously earlier Peter David, but... Mm-hmm. I it's such a blast. It's so funny. Like that's the thing about it. It is genuinely hilarious. Cool. I had an excellent time reading the few issues that I could pick up. This was back when I was in Sault Ste. Marie. There was a comic store that I went to in Sault Ste. Marie that had just like like this is where I got into my my collecting hobby of collecting terrible comics and oops i found a good one <laughs> so <laughs> um so yeah I, every time i get a chance to look for x, x factor i try to find new x factor and oh my gosh it's so good yeah i love it very good uh, the, uh so the other one that i found recently and this is one i shared with peter as well and jenny i think you would also love this is an online comic, although you can certainly buy it, uh, you know, in print copies as well. Is this going to be Star Power? Yes, Star Power. <laughs> uh, yeah. Starpowercomic.com. Um, it is a wonderful pro-social um, superpowers in space kind of show, of comic. Hmm. And it's one, per- one character who is basically an undergraduate uh, at Astronomer in like the 25th millennium. As part of this, like I'm, I'm saying 25th. It's sometime in the far future, right? Yeah. Uh, part of this confederacy of a thousand worlds, who suddenly is the one superpowered being in the universe. How long has this been going on for? It's several been going years on for a while. Okay, because I think I might have heard of it before. Uh, um, the first, first one is uh, it has the little um, portrait box, whatever those are called. Yeah, on 2013. The cover. 2013, February 2013. Yeah. Terracino so, and Terracino Graham. That's is the just name on there. after I stopped being super duper into webcomics, but I I I am pretty sure I've heard of this before. It's really really good because it subverts a lot of expectations but positively. Like okay. yeah. what's what's the classic thing? Oh, some uh, you know, low Low-level flunky uh, gets superpowers, and they get, you know, and, okay, their boss is like, keep it secret, right? I'm watching you, right? Mm -hmm. The boss 100% has their back at all times. Awesome. And you, you you hear that, and you go, wait, what? Really? And yeah, just he's a that, really good boss. <laughs> yeah, like that kind. It's that kind of thing that subverts expectations, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, people are actually nice to each other. Except for people who are obviously villains. And it's mm-hmm. not that it's without conflict. There's a lot of deep emotional conflict happening. But by and large, people are doing their best. Nice. Yeah. And the other thing, too, like, OK, so this this woman that gets these powers is one of like the kindest, most wholesome people you could ever ask to give that kind of power to. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is she's her, just a you know, genuinely decent. I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff with like she's she's friends with a bunch of other people on this space station that they're all on. And like there's entire like subplots about them just being supportive friends to each other and like helping each other work through stuff and 
just in a really like kind-hearted and healthy sort of way hmm. the, yeah like in, in these times that we are in reading through that series was a relief <laughs> <laughs> yeah so really strong recommend i'll put a link to yeah. it in the show notes because that one is online it, like i said it's starpowercomic.com it's great it really, i'm really, really happy with it i'm i'm really enjoying it and um yeah it's good stuff yeah the other thing i've got going on is i'm prepping for like three new games <laughs> yeah so, yeah, I'm biting off less and Grant is biting off more than I'm giving up. <laughs> yeah, well, three is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. So, you know, um, I, I last year when we started the City on a Hill uh, campaign season, you know, season two of City on a Hill uh, with Ryan Felton as a GM. Ryan, you know, occasionally dropped things like, oh, you know, I wish I could play, but, you know, I'm GMing for this. And I messaged him, you know, after a couple of months, like, hey, dude, if you ever want to play, I'll happily just. GM a session of City on the Hill for you, or, you know, I'll GM a campaign for you. It's fine, right? That way you get to play. And he was like, oh, interesting. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. And, I, you know, he and I have sort of occasionally gone back and forth, like, you still interested? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And he finally checked in. was like, so we're getting towards the end. Do you actually want to do this? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I'm going to be doing a mini arc. It's not going to be a full season. Four to seven sessions is the goal for this. And it'll be a, a short little mini arc of uh, episodes set in Ryan's world that he's established for City on a Hill, which is an interesting challenge and relates to tonight's topic. And, and you know, meeting all the standards that, that Ryan lays out because it's still his content, which yeah. also ties into tonight's main topic. But uh, Ryan will actually get to play and I'll be GMing. And so you guys will get to hear how I GM but, and uh, we'll all get to hear how Ryan gets to play. And that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to be like I've played alongside I'd Ryan once. And that was when uh, our actually our editor, Justin, ran a one shot of Feng Shui 2. So I've gotten to play alongside of him once, but not in D&D. It was a right. different system. So mm -hmm. this will be the first time I've, you know, had him as a PC in the system that he's been running before. And that'll be kind of cool. So, yeah. The other thing is that my group is trying, uh, my home group is trying to start up a little Star Wars game, which will be exciting. And we are either using Edge of the Empire by Fantasy Flight Games or Impulse Drive, uh, whose author's name I cannot remember, but it's a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game designed to run Mass Effect, Firefly, Star Wars-like games. You know, gotcha. uh, a crew and a ship. Um, usually kind of on the edge of the law. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that if we do the Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, Fantasy Flight game, it's... There are no legal PDFs of that game. Mm. So, you know, we have one guy who has the books and we're all kind of like working off that, basically. Um, <laughs> Read me the section to this over the web chat. Uh. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but, you know, we've, we've found some workarounds, but it's still very awkward yeah. because that you can't get legal PDFs. Do you know why you can't get legal PDFs? Hmm. Because copyright are, law? Yes. Nonsensical copyright. <sighs> well, not copyright law, but copyright licensing. PDFs under 
the license that the copyright owners have count as digital media and EA owns that license for Star Wars. Oh, you're kidding me. Welcome to my day at work. Congratulations, you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel you. Yeah. I I mean, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I I already had some appreciation for what Jenny had to put up with, but eh, there's Mm -hmm. more right there. So, so, you know, we're kind of leaning a little more towards impulse drive. And, you know, powered by the apocalypse, it's fun, but it will take some hacking and not everything that I want is in there. So I've heard that Scum and Villainy is good for that, too. Uh, I have, too. But one of our players uh, who is really into a lot of these indie RPGs, he actually like helped playtest Impulse Drive. He, he's big on the Gauntlet forums, does a lot of stuff over there. Ah, um, OK. He um, I think you've told me about this guy in yeah. other contexts before. That yeah, same one. Same one. OK. He, um. He has played other Forged in the Dark games and is not a as big a fan of those, so he's kind of pushing against that. Well, that's and, fair. you know, he has copies of Impulse Drive that he got from the, you know, the playtest stuff, so we have that. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let's let's see what we have. Uh, now, just to be clear, we're not doing any of this in person. We're all, you know, we're doing this all online, which is one of the reasons the the fantasy fight problem is a is a problem. Yeah, because um, if you guys were actually able to meet in person like that group normally does, this wouldn't mm-hmm. be an issue at all. You just yeah, sit around the table and pass the book around. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, we are going to be doing a Star Wars game of some sort, and I'm kind of excited. And I've got I I have a character in mind, a, a Celestin freighter captain named. Uh, what was the name I came up with him? Uh, Kip Yim. So okay. I'm excited. I'm I'm actually very interested to hear how this thing goes. So you'll have Me to too. you'll definitely have to keep us updated on the yeah. podcast here and stuff. And then so. one of the other players, one of the other guys in my group, keeps trying to get me to run a Rogue Trader game for that. I'm like, I just picked up two new games. Can I not? Yeah. <laughs> Especially because that's also Fantasy Flight and oof. I mean, yeah, it's like it's a. It's a nice compliment to your GMing skills, but yeah, it's if there's any time to be setting boundaries, <laughs> our current yeah. time is definitely it. No kidding. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, that's a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. I've been having a rougher time. Yes. Uh, the Goblin Queen is sick, and yeah. not just like in her standard sick way, because she does have like a continual health issue. Nah, she got an infected butt. Ah, the infected butt gland. The infected yeah. butt gland, and it's I've been, like there. I spent a full day following her around with a towel, just in case. <laughs> so that was great. Yuck. Um, Cat ownership. Yeah. Um. They're such and, sweet little things, but oh, it can go wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it has gone wrong, and she is not pleased, and she is not yelling. So. You know, we'll, we'll see how long that goes on for. Uh, she has been to the vet. She has gotten uh, antibiotics. Um, so we'll see how long that goes on. Also, uh, I found I found treasure in my house. Like, out yes, of the, yes. Tell us about this. This is a great yeah. story. So <clears throat> I was just, you know, watering my plants, as you do. And I just sort of, like, happened to look over. We have this gigantic... Um, oak chest that um, 
we sort of took custody of when my uh, grandmother on my dad's side first went into long-term care, and now we've inherited. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a secret drawer. I just looked over while watering my plants, and there's, like... I, I never noticed this before. There was like the, these two lumps on on the lower part of it. I'm like, that's a weird place to put lumps. Why have I never seen this before? And I put my hands on them, and like I feel under them, and it's like like a, it's handles on a drawer. And I pull open the drawer, and out comes like all of her knitting supplies. <laughs> <laughs> Also, a family portrait um, that we, I believe, have a, like, blown up version of, like, a really big version of. We mm -hmm. found the receipts for when she actually got it enlarged. Oh, So, like, cool. we, we now have the original, which is really, really cool. Um, and also, all of my great-grandmother's old nursing texts from when she was in Sweden, doing nursing stuff in Sweden. So, we have, like late i think this would have been 1910s oh, 1900s wow. or 1910s nursing texts which is just fascinating there there are some interest cuz it's it's field medicine too that that's the other thing it's field medicine texts well, which that's is just like right before world war 1 too so yeah um she yeah she i think was a nurse through world war one although sweden was neutral that doesn't mean they weren't prepared mm -hmm. so so she did like I, I believe field medic and nursing training and then she went on to be a like fabulous seamstress like she worked in one of the fanciest bridal shops in saskatoon for like a long time excellent seamstress anyway uh we found those and this is so cool, and it is going to be relevant to pretty much everything I do in gaming, like fantasy gaming from now on forever. We found a book from the late 1800s of Swedish folktales and fairy tales. Amazing. Oh, yeah. neat. And it is like, like at least the youngest I'd put it at is literally 1899. That's the wow. youngest I'd put it at. That's um, extremely cool. It is so cool, and they... Uh, order the folktales by region. So it Ooh. actually starts with southern Sweden, and then I think it moves north. Because, yeah, it starts off with stuff from Skåne, which is where my family's from, and then it, it goes... I think it goes off the map. I am not super familiar with northern Sweden, because I've focused so much on the southern bits. But yeah, so that's really cool. And it, it's... we. I haven't gotten around to translating all of it yet and any translations i do are going to be you know google translate level stuff but mm -hmm. there's at least one rock baby there's a a strange baby sitting on a rock in one of the illustrations by the way there there are these really beautiful woodcut illustrations it's so oh cool. so good yeah i'm just i'm real happy about it you're I, I uh, super I not actually, kidding about this being actual treasure that you found. Yeah, like, no no jokes here. Um, the books are damaged. Like, I, they, they are not mint condition. They were not kept well. They were in this bottom drawer of a an oak chest that we keep the cat's water dish and several plants on. Like, you know, it's it, they, are, they have not been kept in good condition, but it's still really cool. Mm -hmm. And, That's yeah, there's, awesome. there's also... Uh, the the thing I'm 
I'm more excited about this and I don't know why. My grandmother, I, I'm named after my grandmother. And so she had several of her knitting supplies personalized with her name, which is also my name. Well, there you go. <laughs> so now I have personalized knitting supplies. And like, as soon as I found that, my parents were both just like, like they jumped on it before I did. They were like, she'd want you to use that. <laughs> so yeah, I that's that's been my excitement for the, for the whole dang week. That's, I'm, that's I'm really a very warranted excitement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. Um, oh, also, I think I might also have a cursed object, mildly cursed. Found a crochet hook made out of either bone or antler. I'm leaning towards antler, but wouldn't it be cool if it was bone? Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. That's great. Yeah. You got to tell me how the uh, how the like if it feels different with the the bone or antler. Very. Uh, hmm. Or like like between bone and antler. Well, no, like like does is the texture different? You know how it moves through. It is. Yarn it is different? hugely different. It's actually like whoever made it knew what they were doing because there is a grain to antler, and so if you feel up an antler. I, I think it's up the antler, it grabs more. And if you feel down mm. the antler, it's smooth. And so it's actually really useful for keeping things on the hook. Okay. Because the way that they carved it, it it grabs the yarn when it needs to. Nice. Um, yeah. So so that's So that's you, you have thing. a masterwork crocheting hook, basically. I have I will call it journeyman's because the hook itself is not great. <laughs> uh, <okay>. um, <laughs> it's it it's They knew barely, more about antlers than they did about crochet. Huh? Yeah, I have to use a totally different technique with it because the hook part itself is just not that deep. It doesn't the hook part doesn't grab oh, well. Right. The material itself is fantastic, but the groove is really not great. I'll use Fair it enough. anyway. It's really cool, but yeah. <sighs> All right, we have a Patreon question to get yes. to at some point. <laughs> that here. was a lot of banter. Sorry no, about that. No, no. <laughs> you know what? This, this more is, update. Yeah, this is good. Also, I got some comic recommendations, so that's always good. I and, never even and, said that I, I actually also... was reading. I was reading the uh, the Frank Miller <laughs> Daredevil run. So ooh, oh okay, yeah, which. Is a classic that's worth like the whole Electra business and mm -hmm. you know the Kingpin coming back to town. Like, there's a bunch of stuff going on. It really that's when Daredevil was basically rescued from a couple months away from being canceled. Mm. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm not always the biggest fan of Frank Miller, but his Daredevil stuff was some of his better work. I think he's so. writing to the Marvel audience in this one, like, it's very clear that this, this is not him doing like Sin City level stuff. This is right, you know, he's writing. Marvel pushing the boundaries of the comics code a bit, right? It's very explicitly like trying does. to do what he can, <laughs> but still writing a Marvel story and a very good one. So yeah, it was good. All right, let me roll this Patreon question here, shall we? Yeah. This is from Tom Stevens, uh, and Tom asks, as someone who just got an MLS degree himself recently, finished in 2016, this one's for Jenny with a generalized version for the others. What was your most and least favorite class from your library or generally degree program? So, I don't have a degree. <laughs> I am by I'm going to I'm going to call people out and I don't care. By elitist standards, I am not a librarian. I do not have an MLIS. Um I have not even finished my diploma. I am just good at my job. But um <laughs> Air horns, do 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 do, sick burns or whatever. Um, no, that's that's really mean. Um, my most favorite class so far has been archiving 101. I really enjoyed that. 
my least favorite class is oh gosh what's the name of it i blocked it i blocked it from memory i did it it's that coding language that i hate a lot mark mark coding the mark coding class i hate it so much i wish that 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 it would just oh wow it's <laughs> so, so for those of us incoherent who, with hatred those of us who don't know anything about li- uh, libraries can you give us the 15 second rundown on mark coding mark stands for machine readable card coding basically it my my opinion here is that mark should have been a transition code for when libraries go from their old analog card catalog systems into digital, and then we convert that to something else that actually works for computers and makes sense to the average layman at the same time. But you know what? We're not there yet. And I'm mad about it. And my (laughs) uh, instructor is a solid 10 years behind, does not cover the fact that most cataloging programs now have their own separate interfaces so you don't know have you don't have to know anything about mark coding mm-hmm. when you actually go to catalog an item you 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 don't need that you don't need it so that's why i haven't graduated yet because i've literally failed the class three times <laughs> oh so there we go my big weakness is mark coding and like i i I wish it was something cooler, like, like, oh man, there's this whole database language thing where you make your own databases and it's actually difficult. Mark isn't difficult. I just hate it and don't want to do it. And so I fail every time. Fair enough. That does sound awful. Yeah. As somebody who works with structured languages occasionally. Yeah, that sounds atrocious. I just wish that my instructor would tell us what the numbers actually mean. Because it's all well and good to be like, yeah, this number does this, this number does this. But why does it do that? And why do these symbols do what they do? I would love to be able to learn that kind of thing. (gasps) She's yelling at me. Hooray. She's feeling a little better. She's feeling good enough to yell at me. Now go away. (laughs) (laughs) So it goes. So my favorite class, and I actually never got my degree either. Uh, I was going for a political science degree when I realized I really didn't much like political science and had chosen it because I did congressional debate in high school and then failed out of college and a whole bunch of other things happened. Uh, But my favorite class was in the political science field, and that was a class that I took on political architecture, which is absolutely fascinating. It was clearly the passion of the instructor. Like, he loved this whole concept. And talking about how our politics is reflected in our architecture, the political purpose of architecture, the symbolism of architecture in the political uh, environment, you know, the importance that we place on uh, politics and political engagement and our political opinions as expressed through architecture, you know, compare neoclassical buildings of Washington, D.C. to oh yeah, we put our government offices in the shutdown brindles. That that level of comparison. Okay. You know, he also had a lot of complaints about people who stuck porticos on things, which I get. <laughs> you know, so it was just this really fascinating class. 
My least favorite? I, good lord, I had a bunch of them. I think the one that sticks out to me is art, because the guy didn't really care that it was an art for non-majors class, and just tried to hold everybody to artist standards and made it miserable. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm gonna do this in reverse order. I'm gonna start with my least favorite one. Uh, back when I was taking my criminal justice degree, which I never went on to use for anything, uh, there was, I was there during the transition between the old department head and the new department head. And the old department head was useless. Um, I remember taking a vice and organized crime class from him who, I mean, this this class was basically him bragging about stuff that I guarantee you did not happen <laughs> incoherently <laughs> for an entire semester. Oh, no. Wow. It was horrible. Just, I want you to imagine just like a fat, lazy, old, you know, schlub of a dude pretending that he was Jack Bauer in his glory days for like four-hour classes for an entire semester. And that was that class. Mm. But the reason why I'm doing this in reverse order is the new, uh, at least at the time, I don't know if she's still there, but the, the person who became the program director after he retired was this wonderful woman whose name I'm actually going to share. Her name was Harriet Johnson. At the time, she was just a part-time police officer in one of the small towns she was also a martial arts instructor, and I took a couple of her classes, and she was the chief of security for both the local Holiday Inn and the college itself. Hmm. She was a really nice person. She was really smart. She clearly knew what she was talking about. She had a great deal of respect for the students. And, like, any of the several classes that I took from her would qualify. Like... I know a lot of the time, you know, you'll, you'll hear things about like the, the law enforcement trade and stuff where it's like, uh, you know, it sometimes attracts people who are kind of bullies and stuff like that. This woman, like Robert Peel, the, the founder of Modern Policing, the guy whose principles I forgot to read off in Lawful Good, and we're probably going to fix that in an episode 10 on the Alignment series, but he would have walked up to her and said, I am proud of you. Probably <laughs> she was honest. She was realistic. And she was just, it was a joy to take classes from her. I took several courses just because she was teaching them. I think probably my favorite was a defensive tactics class that she taught with a bunch of her martial arts expertise, where we learned a lot of really good, like, practical self-defense stuff that did not leave the person that you were defending yourself against crippled on the ground when you were done. It just, mm. just learn to get control of people quickly. And she definitely had like um, internalized the whole use of force continuum thing, like to a remarkable degree. And I just, I thought she was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized cool. I didn't talk about why I liked my archiving class. And I just ranted about how much I hate Mark coding. I liked my archiving class because I got a really cool final project. The, the instructor was really awesome. Like, I'm not going to pretend the instructor wasn't great, but my favorite thing about it was the fi final project, which was contact a local archive, get a tour, and then take one of their archived pieces and describe how they have 
cataloged it, how they store it, and just talk about like 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 basically promote your local archive. Hmm. Which was so freaking cool. So I got to go to the City of St. John's archive and look at like ancient maps of the city and see the progression from like dinky little town on the edge of a peninsula to slightly less dinky town on the the edge of a (laughs) peninsula but like see why the streets were so bad and also see some of like how like it was definitely a, a a practical lesson in the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like people have been making the same exact complaints to St. John's Town Council since the 1800s about snow removal. Exact same complaints. <laughs> wow. And yeah, it, it was just it was such a cool project to be able to do. And I'm really glad that I got to do it. Sorry, that was my. No, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, there you go. Tom, it's a good question. Obviously got us uh, got us all engaged on that one, ranting <laughs> about our favorite or least favorite classes. Uh, and if anyone else wants to get their questions in, obviously, if you are already a Patreon supporter, just send them in to us via Patreon message, Discord message, whatever. Um, and if you are not a supporter on Patreon, for as little as a dollar a month, you get to send in questions, get show note uh, access, uh, hear about what's coming up ahead of the time uh, as we write blog posts on our Patreon page, kind of giving you a heads up on what's coming up, uh, get special Discord colors and a bunch of other interesting uh, little benefits that you get. And of course, you support the show. Keep us on yep. the air. It's always important. And uh, $5 patrons, if you decide you want to go uh, that far do get to vote on a topic every quarter. So we've got yes. that in there too. So, All right, let's read our scripture and then we're going to talk about a, a, a sort of complicated and loose topic that I'm excited to get into. Yeah, this is Psalm 33 verses 10 and 11. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. And Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. And we have Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself." Each day has trouble enough of its own. So, 
Our topic tonight is one that I don't have like a pithy little statement to encapsulate. Um, but basically we're talking about how to handle it when one or more players knows the GM's plans. Yeah, we kind of came up with this when Grant and I were uh, doing our brainstorming episode a few back. And th this was this was the one that we referenced in that episode. Like, oh, we just yeah. got a, another topic out of this. Yeah. And the reason is it turns out that in almost all of my games, somebody knows what's coming up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's really no way around it because my wife is in a lot of my games and I bounce a lot of my ideas off of her. And we'll talk a lot about that, but it's not just me. Plenty of other people, kind of, you know, know something. I'm not just talking about like, oh, well, we know the GM's taking us to this particular, like, this area. It's like, oh, no, we know what, like, the big bad is. Or we've, you know, the GM talked to his players. It's like, I'm stuck. What do I do? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways that this can happen. But it doesn't necessarily mean something has gone wrong. And I think the first thing that I kind of want to talk about here is how important is surprise actually? Okay, so <laughs> I think surprise and shock are really kind of overvalued in our hobby. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I honestly think they're a little overvalued in media in general. And to give you kind of probably the best example that I can think of... Look at the films of M. Night Shyamalan. He gets so absorbed in coming up with a good twist in a lot of them that he neglects to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the best example that I have of being on the receiving end of this, where I knew what was coming and the other players didn't necessarily know, was that Cursed Sword arc or, uh, that we've talked about a few times on the podcast, yeah. where Lambert had this sword that I knew was cursed, and I got to play him like fighting against the influence of it and kind of losing. And that really kind of brought out some good stuff. And it's like that would not have worked if Grant had not pulled me to the side after the session where we acquired that and said, hey, there's this thing. I think we can get some you know, good story out of this. What do you think? Yeah. Compare. Hey, are you OK with this? And I'm going to leave it up to you to role play to. All right, Peter, I need you to roll me a, a will save for Lambert. Yeah. You feel angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. Yeah. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just, it's not fun. It just feels forced in that sort of yeah. case. Yeah. It takes the collaboration out of collaborative storytelling. Yes. yes exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I know people worry about metagaming, and I think that comes from a. The very old school style of the players versus the GM, you know, going all the way back to the original roots of the hobby in wargaming. Well, and it, it does bear mentioning that that can be a little bit of a problem, too. I did it by mistake with a map last session where I looked down and I was like, oh, those look like they're, you know, actual monsters. We should go a different way. And you're like, it's hazy. Please don't metagame. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah I well, forgot about a, the environmental That was conditions. a poor communication thing on my part. Like that, that was just... I Bad you had a valid point, though. It, you might not have chosen your words perfectly, but I mean, the point stood, you know, is yeah. one of those things where it's like, no, you couldn't actually see that this whole area is covered in smoke is like, oh, yeah, what am I thinking? Well, yeah, but so, at the same time, I trust you guys to look at a map and be like, OK, what would my characters do? Not what, you know, what 
what is the most optimal route through this map. Yeah, the, the problem there is like the characters would have avoided that, but they weren't able to see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's that was literally a, a case where like for the, the players to have reacted the way that they would have if they'd been able to see clearly, they would have needed to be able to see clearly and couldn't. So well, that, that was that, that whole was last session was a little bit of a mess because it was guys, here's a bunch of things to do. No, no, we're going to march straight uphill to, yeah. to where the big the big boss is. Yeah, I mean, yes, you can see that, I know, and you can see it in character, but nope, nope, we're going to go have words. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I, think, I think the thing that happened there was we showed up at the tower ready for a fight, like, earlier on in the same story, and we didn't run into one at all. So I was like, all right, well, this is, this is one of those ones where, you know, we're going to talk to everything before... Stuff happens like, all right, well, I'm going to go talk to it. And Grant was kind of like, really? <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I'm going to blame the module on this one. I'm going to blame the module on this one because like it. it. I, this is my yeah. least favorite of all the sections I have read so far in the module. It's not very clear that you actually have to interact with anything and you don't have to. Yeah. It's just there's a bunch of cool stuff to investigate along the side if you want and maybe get help from or fight. It's just not clear. And there's a clear path straight up the middle. Nothing stopping yeah, you from like, having, you know, marching up and going, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, the, yeah, the map was just so tempting. Can yeah, I go, well, I'm going to go speak to the manager. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the only thing that would have needed to have been changed is to make that path up there like snaky. Like yes. they often are up a hill. Yes. Like, yeah. I know. You know, they just weave back and forth. There's a bunch yeah. of switchbacks. Put the interesting stuff off of those. So you literally have to walk past it and be like, oh, hello, fellow traveler. <laughs> yes. Oh, hello. Oh, no, we're werewolves. OK, you know. Yeah, it was it, we're getting a little off topic, but that is we one are, of those things where we're, you know, hey. The players can see things because I've laid out this map to, you know, for encounters and now things have gone wrong. OK, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, though, this isn't as off topic as you think, because this is an instance where if we had known more, we would have yep. probably had a better experience. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to keep a little bit back and surprise you guys. And if I had been like, all right, guys, let me tell you what's going to go on here. You're going to find some friends. You're going to find some foes up at the top things are going to go down, I leave it up to you. Mm -hmm. Like, if I had communicated that, I think everybody would have been much happier. And yeah. the thing is, like, you know, some groups, that would be immersion wrecking, right? Like, yeah. they, they wouldn't want to hear that. I think our group, I think especially Chrissy and I, would have been like, oh, all right, so that's what we're going to do. And then we would have had fun with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, you're right. You know, I mean, this I think, is, once again, I think this is Croucher would have messed. Hindsight. I think I think Croucher would have messed everything up anyway because that's what Croucher does best. But um, oh, yes. Croucher does do that best. But you would have probably been able to orchestrate her messing it up in a more entertaining fashion with Absolutely. more info too. Instead yeah. of just saying, "I'm tired of Eldritch Blast," can I please cast another? Spell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Please don't cast another spell. We really need Eldritch Blast. If you need to respect Croucher as a wizard, Jenny, we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, but Elder's Blast is so good. It is so good. I know. It's very good. It's just you, you signed up to be the 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 Elder's Blast monkey. I and did do that. Yeah, I, I hear did you. Do that. 
So one thing that you mentioned, Peter, okay. this may not be for every group in in all the ways that we describe here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm what I want to get across is that this is not a a bunch of recommendations, but rather this is something that I think players and GMs should consider as on the table when it needs to be. Yeah. Because yeah, and this is also filtered through like kind of the group personality of our Saturday group. I well, think it's fair saying. to say. It's not for every group, but I think yeah. too many groups write it off. Yeah. Yeah. Too many groups, as you say, are all about the surprise. The GM has his plans. The DM screen is up. Don't peek behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, no, come on. Let's, yeah. this is collaborative. Let's collaborate and have a little separation between player and character. Yeah. I think it also yeah. is going to vary greatly depending on what genre you're playing. We are currently in our Saturday group playing a, a, a standard D&D module. A, a with, D&D module based off one of the originals, Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah, like, we're, we're playing classic D&D. If you are playing, like, private investigators doing a murder mystery, like, if, if the GM says straight up, so here's who did it, and here's how they did it, and go yeah. and find that out. Like, that's that's not, I'm sorry, that's straight up not going to be as fun, and that's not what I go into a murder mystery for. Yeah, because like, I think that obviates the... That, the premise of the game. Yeah. Right. But if if you are just like having a, a rootin' tootin' uh Eldritch Blast shooting good time, maybe the you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. Yeah. You know, the old lootin' scoot is it doesn't really care if somebody peeks down the map a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I wanna talk about how I GM with my wife. Um Chrissy's been in most of my games, long term, and the reason that I, let me start here. When I am gaming with people in a long-term campaign, it's because I trust and respect them. They've earned a spot in my game. I don't want to game with people I don't really trust and don't know how they'll react at the table. As it, <laughs> as it happens, people I trust and respect are also the people I want to hit up for advice when I need advice. <laughs> so, when I've got somebody I trust and respect, and whose advice I consider very valid, and whom I am married to and have easy access to, I tend to bounce a lot of ideas off them for my games. <laughs> uh, as it happens, I also bounce ideas off, you know, Jenny and Peter at times, but I don't have them, you know in the bathroom, you know, talking to me or, you know, we're not talking while I'm making lunch or whatever, right? It, yeah. There's just a convenience factor. You could really do a whole lot worse than asking Chrissy for her gaming advice, She's too. very, very good. Her, She's her a, term as a GM definitely drove that home for me. Right. And I'm going to talk about that as well uh, because yeah. our roles reversed there and it was it was very interesting. But, you know, I bounce my game ideas off Chrissy all the time even if she is in the game that we're running. Now, I'm doing it, I've am done it a lot less with the uh, Princes of the Apocalypse module because all of the GM prep is kind of done. I don't have to invent a lot for Princes of the Apocalypse. All I have to do is, like, make some maps and right. set up stuff in Roll20. I don't have to sit here and think, how do I help my players out of this situation they've gotten into? What What is needed to make this world building come together? I'm My plot is at loose ends. How do I... 
how do I get this to move forward? I feel like it's it's really falling apart on me. I'm not happy with it. Those are the things I go to Chrissy for. You know, hey, Chrissy, help me uh, import this map into Roll20. A little less so, right? Yeah. <laughs> but when, you know, when I am talking about these ideas with her, she's there as a player. And that's interesting because she is still often somewhat surprised by what happens in the game. And that's one thing I want to stress. This is a collaborative game with multiple players. So just because I talk to Chrissy as the GM and say, hey, what about something like this? Like, I'm, I'm a little stuck. How would how do you think we can move this forward? Oh, okay, something like that, cool. Just because that happens, and I have a through-line plan for the plot, or I've got a monster for this session, or I've, oh, I've got a thing that I think, you know, Peter's character will have fun with because Chrissy suggested it. That in no way indicates what the rest of my players are going to do at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because ain't nobody know what Croucher's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Even Croucher doesn't know what Croucher's going to do. Yeah, true chaotic. That's, yeah. that's Croucher. No, um, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't think she's neutral good. I think she's chaotic good. <laughs> Look Just because at her of the actions. unpredictability. No, she's very neutral good. Just she's I very un- neutral good. Unpredictable <laughs> neutral good. Um, but anyway, I, um, I don't have a problem with that. And Chrissy doesn't really have a problem with it either. I actually got some input from her on this. And one of the things that she says is that she doesn't really care and, and again, this is coming from her, right? For her, it's like enjoying something a second time. You know, we, we all we all have books that we reread a second time or movies sure. we watch multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I, ha- I have a vague idea. It's like, oh, yeah, I heard kind of a synopsis of this movie from someone, and now I'm sitting down to watch it. It's still a different experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, there is, again, that uncertainty introduced by other players. But, you know, it's still fun, even if you have, like, a vague idea of what's coming up. Or, oh, yeah, I heard about this twist. Well, experiencing it is still interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've actually, I've noticed that with a lot of media is, like, sometimes I don't want spoilers for stuff. Honestly, most of the time, spoilers don't spoil things for me. Like, I, I, can, I can go into a lot of pieces of media having heard pretty detailed info about the story yeah and like hearing about it isn't the same as actually watching it unfold Mm -hmm. you know it's like in fact actually sometimes if i get anxious enough about something and something ongoing i'll actually seek out some spoilers just to take the anxiety down so i can enjoy it do you read the last page of of mysteries first (laughs) because there are a bunch of people um who who come to my library who will straight up like I've watched people open to the last page before taking out a book. Um, it's just and, and then there are other people who refuse to read a book a second time because it's it's about what we go into a piece of media to experience. Right. The people who will only ever read a book once and then never again are in it for the surprise. The people who are who tend to flip to the last page first are not in it for the surprise. They are in it for the writing style or for, you know, the, the journey as a whole rather than for the surprise. And I don't think either is particularly better than the other. It's just different values. And I will say, because like 
I mentioned one of the um, exceptions to this early on in the episode, right? When I was talking about that Astro City thing, Mm -hmm. sometimes there are pieces of media where if you go in without like any preconceptions, you are more receptive to the kind of like journey that that media is going to take you on. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why like certain works I try not to spoil, like, you know, Astro City Confession or Gone Home, because there's moments in there like Gone Home. If you can experience that game without even knowing what genre it is, that is like the definitive experience as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And it's there are times when the, the foreknowledge is definitely a detriment, but there are lots and lots of times where it isn't. Like, if I knew the end of a shooter game that I was playing or a strategy game that I was playing, I wouldn't care. Like, I don't play XCOM for the story. I play it for the tactical battles and stuff. And, you know, like, a lot of the time, the the moment-to-moment experience of whatever media that you are in is actually where the juice is, and you don't really need to to shut off, like, all foreknowledge of what might happen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad because I kind of rambled there. No, no. <laughs> I will also say this as somebody who you know struggles with anxiety. A lot of times, me knowing the the plot ahead of time saves me a lot of worry about you know, am I going to enjoy this? Is there are they going to spring something unpleasant on me? That sort of thing. And, yeah. and you know, role playing mm-hmm. games are a little different because it's all made up on the fly by and large, unless we're talking about a module. But you know, then I've sort of compensated for that in other ways by again playing with people i trust and that sort of thing yeah you know you actually brought something excellent up there i am convinced that my kind of moderate to low levels of anxiety are why i stopped reading the dresden files Mm -hmm. Mm. because when i wasn't reading them before i gave them a chance i saw certain things in like back cover copy of like late books in the series that just implied that something absolutely terrible was going to happen to a character that I liked. Mm. And that just hung over my head like the sort of Damocles until I couldn't take it anymore and I just stopped reading. Sure. Mm. Yeah. So I, I've had stuff like that happen to me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it went, if we're on the topic of, of books and surprise, I know that I have just straight up stopped reading series when they become about the surprise. Yes. And stopped watching series when they become about the surprise. It tends to make things chaotic. And I would hesitate to use that word in a negative context here because I'm I'm going to get on my Attack on Titan spiel. Okay. Attack on Titan was great until they changed the genre entirely for the for the shock value. Right. When you are setting up for a complete and total 180 just for the sake of the 180 that's cheap and that's not good chaos attack on titan has been chaos from start to where it is now i don't think it's done um i i don't know i've stopped paying Uh attention but the chaos was great until the chaos changed and it it just there is there's controlled chaos and then there's there's uncontrolled chaos and there's a certain element of we're just doing it to you know 
get the death reaction off out of you, regardless yeah. of how co- coherent our plot becomes. Yeah, yeah we're doing Lost this to sell coffee. Suffered from that. The the TV show Lost. I I am a hundred percent convinced that the island was supposed to be purgatory, and people figured it out too early, and the writers scrambled to change it, and that mm. ruined the show. That is that is my theory, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Huh? <laughs> it's a good theory. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, let's to to bring this back to role playing games a bit. There are certainly people for whom the twist is important, regardless of what we are playing together. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I am I am fine with that, and I think we all need to respect that those people exist, and that's their fun. Yeah. Okay, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned that I was doing this game for City on a Hill. Ryan uh, Felton, who of course is the was the guy who's been GMing City on a Hill. It's his show, his content. He's in a really tough place because he wants to play. He wants me to GM. He trusts me to GM, but he is also responsible for the content of his show. Mm-hmm which means he needs to know what I am bringing to the table. But it's been very clear from everything that he has uh, said to me that he also really wants to be surprised by the plot. Mm-hmm. So I have I have been trying to give him as little as I can without giving him so little that he feels uncomfortable with trusting me to generate content that his name is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's worth mentioning, like, Ryan takes the, if you've never listened to City on a Hill, Ryan takes the family-friendly, like, G-rated aspect of that podcast incredibly seriously. Yes. Like, he to is, the, to the he point where I was surprised. Yeah, to the point where I was surprised by what he would allow when I was talking with him. Like, hmm. I was like, oh, you would let me do that, really? Everything I've gotten from you suggests that that would be off the table because it would not be G-rated enough. Okay, interesting. You know, like stuff like that. Obviously, there'd be a lot of, you know, filters and veils and that sort of thing for for that sort of stuff. And there's certain things that are obviously off the table for that sort of show. But there were a few things where I was like, really? Huh, okay. Surprised me. Um, I'm not using any of them anyway. I found a good plot that doesn't involve that stuff. But I was surprised. But yeah, that's I would not expect to encounter demons anywhere in Ryan's world. No, those were very specifically off the table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mentioned a zombie and he was like, mm, we'll talk about it. I was like, really? I was trying to use a zombie as like an, an example of something that I figured would be off the table. And he was like, eh, we'll talk. Like, OK, surprise. Anyway, so that is something that, you know. It's really like it's very clear that Ryan values that. And I am sort of in a position where I have to ruin that a little bit just because of how this works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's an unusual situation. But, if, you know, you got to be kind of upfront. If I were running a game for, you know, a child, I would absolutely kind of tell them, hey, this is what the story is going to be about up front. Because that eases that anxiety and they know, okay, this is what I'm going to be dealing with. And they look forward to it rather than dreading what's coming up. That's the whole premise behind No Thank You Evil in some ways, isn't it? Uh, To a certain degree, yeah. I mean, there's still surprises there, but Mm -hmm. it's an option. Yeah, by child, the the kids that I GM for are in it for the surprise. 
Right. I'm talking about like the like low young, elementary young school age. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and I think I think that's very fair. But like a- after a certain point, I think right now where where the kids that I GM for are at is they want that surprise, and. I have never seen them more engaged than when they found out that there was an actual plot linking everything. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I will say this. As a GM, I love to drop that little bit of shock and that little bit of awe. And not just in terms of plot, but like, oh, dang, Grant, that's a good looking map. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you, you came up with what? Like, you you drew this like i love that 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 is very rewarding to me right well and I, the other thing too is like no matter how much i know about where the story is going i will never be entirely prepared for some of your character depictions <laughs> I, like I have fun with sal them. sal i would have never called in a million years even if i'd known we were going to be talking with a spectator in a pocket dimension i would well, have never called that personality for that character so i and yeah i like i like that sort of dichotomy between you know the stereotypical D monster and what if they weren't that what if yeah. they had a personality that didn't exactly conflict but presented it in a different way like sal was still very much a by the book beholder he was just also a butler yeah and yeah i mean he was he was like kind of weird and irrational and stuff it was just the way that that presented itself was very much outside of the i'm a blast everything with eye beams and scream while i do it kind of oeuvre Exactly. And I've always loved the idea of beholders as, you know, intelligent, horrible creatures you could potentially talk to and, you know, turn down their their horrible deal or, you know, learn something from at great risk to your own life and sanity. You know, I like that more than what's this? It's a tunnel monster. Yeah. Yeah. To get it back to like the, the, the main topic, what... Hmm. How to phrase this? Uh, we should maybe discuss the the differences between one or two players knowing some stuff ahead of time and the entire group knowing stuff ahead of time. Yeah, we should. And Chrissy had actually a few things to say about this. Okay. Because um, Chrissy is often in this position. And... Yeah. <laughs> For her, when she's the only player in that position, and I'm going to quote her almost directly here, but she basically said it behooves you to sit back and let the other players take the lead. Mm. Because you can always give the GM an assist, getting the plot back on the rails when the others really start going off in weird directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's an excuse, you know, you can do it in character rather than saying, hey guys, that's not where the plot is. Don't go that way. No, do it in character. Have fun with it, right? Chrissy's often somewhat risk-averse, which I know sounds weird, but like emotionally, right? A little Mm risk-averse, much like me. And there's a sense of security in kind of knowing what's coming up. I was talking about that with that, with the anxiety thing. But also if you're, you know, super into like optimizing, you can do that as well. But if you don't 
care about making the wrong choices in the game and not being absolutely optimal and playing it perfectly, right? It's kind of fun to intentionally go off the wrong path and poke the bear sometimes. <laughs> I have that same risk aversion, and I know the, the few times where I've kind of known where the where the walls were, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, that I wasn't going to just, like, accidentally take one wrong step and just, like, drop down an ice crevasse or something. That's yeah. been, that's let me feel more like um, I could do certain things and play. And actually, uh, so this can be long term, too. Like, yeah. As, as you build up more trust with a group, you open up and you start feeling more comfortable portraying different kinds of characters and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I'll tell you straight up, and this is going to sound silly, but, like, I don't think I would feel comfortable playing somebody like Sigvard at any other table. Hmm. And I mean, that probably sounds ridiculous because Sigvard is not like this out there character. For those who are not familiar, Sigvard is the bard that you're playing in My Princess the Apocalypse game, who is very much just an adventurer bard. He's what? neutral good i think leaning chaotic yeah Yeah, and he's mostly just like i'm doing good things but daddy gotta get paid yeah and a little sarcastic and like if you have listened to the city on a hill episodes that i've been on and i've been on the whole second season characters like bertrand and desilov and even like um uh, frost back from our shadow run game before i really kind of knew the group well that like I get so concerned about messaging and stuff that like those kind of hyper virtuous like care only about doing the right thing kind of characters are about all I feel like I should be playing because I don't want to do something a little like just kind of goofy or irreverent or something in a game and think that the other players are going to be like, oh, you know, Maybe maybe his, you know, personality isn't his personality or something. You know, it's like I almost feel like up until I've really built up trust with a group, playing characters that are a little bit further away from what I want to be is almost like lying in some way. Hmm. And then like having built up the trust, it's like, okay, yeah, these these folks know who I actually am, what I actually care about, that sort of thing. I don't have to constantly, like, brand manage through my PC. I can just loosen up and play something fun and goofy. Mm-hmm. Or I can play, I can loosen up in a different way and play something that has me being really vulnerable, like I did with Lambert. Mm. And so that's that's been kind of an interesting experience for yeah. me. And when I was playing in Chrissy's Innocence game, she and I came up with the bad guy and the whole plot together. It wasn't okay. just like a, a thing where she was bound, you know, she came up with a lot of it, I should I should stress, but she bounced all of it off of me. She made and sure And she absolutely that, ran all of it in play. Grant actually took kind of a back seat in that game. I did. For because I wanted to make sure that I was not backseat GMing her. It was her first time really trying to GM and I was being very careful about that. Yeah. Um but what was interesting was like I mean I helped her build the character stats for all of the characters that had stats and, you know, like everything, right? I knew kind of the whole plot and situation end to end. 
Knowing that was very freeing for me because I wasn't trying to do everything in my power to investigate the situation and figure out what was going on as a player. I was trying to do exactly what my character would do when confronted with this weird situation. I was just going to say, because you played the skeptic. I did, which was a good excuse for me, again, to not backseat. It's yeah. a way to step back and be like, come on, guys, really? We sure we want to do this? All right. Those don't well, exist. Lead the way, guys. Okay, yeah. fine. I'll be overruled. Right. And, and that worked. And, you know, it, let me just sort of sit back and be like, I'm just playing my character. Not in that obstinate, I'm just playing my character, being mean to everybody, you know, being rude. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Not doing that, but just letting others figure out what the right thing is and figure out the plot. Well, and he was a foil because well, hold on, of that. Hold on. Yeah, it was, but I did not have to fight for the spotlight and I did not have to fight for the chance to discover what was going on. Yeah, because you already knew. Right. And that's great. And it, the the thing is, too, like, the, that illustrates what we've been talking about a little bit, because that game really wasn't a mystery for very long. No. Like, we, we kind of figured out the mysterious thing. The story revolved not so much around what's going on, but, oh, you know exactly what's going on. What are you going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it is, does not matter if the players know. Because everybody knows at that point, right? Yeah. Everybody has equal information. And the players who knew about things ahead of time sit down with the players who knew learned about it 20 seconds ago and say, all right, now what? Yeah, mm -hmm. because knowing what the GM had planned for the situation doesn't help you anymore. Now it's up to you and the GM will react to your actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's also talk about how when there is... Um, or actually, regardless of whether there is an inequality in information distribution, um, that got so clinical sounding. <laughs> um, but when there is an Dr. inequality Jenny. in information distribution, um, or, or regardless of whether there is or not, you have been given basically a, a role-playing gift by the GM and how your your character is going to react. You mm -hmm. have been given the the luxury of time to plan a reaction. Yes. But um, you're still role-playing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you can decide when a big reveal happens if your character is going... Especially if it's something, like, emotionally difficult. If your character is going to, you know, break down crying or get super angry, you get to decide what they act like when they are scared and surprised. Um, and that can lead to some really cool role-playing moments. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's not sprung on you out of the blue, a lot of the time it makes for less ugly bleed back to the player, which can be kind of mm -hmm. nice in those heavy emotional moments in game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, Jenny, you said something that I wanted to make sure that we cover um, before we got into this, which was um, when everybody at the table yeah. knows what's going on. And that is an interesting situation. And I think that comes up more than we think about in mm -hmm. our games. Like, it just naturally happens. Hey, guys, yeah. we're going to be doing this next time, so be prepared. 
Yeah. Oh, well, okay, now the GM has just told everybody a bunch of metagame information about what's coming up and they need to have their their stuff ready to go just because it saves everybody time, but now we all still get to go into that situation together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of games, and a lot of indie games in particular, that are all about, here is all the information, the players know everything that's going on, your job as players of this game is to play your characters who do not know. Mm-hmm. Right? There are tons of games built on that. Yeah, and a lot I, of the story games out there are are that to a T. <clears throat> yes. And yeah. one of the things I love is something like, okay, we're going to play this game. At the end of the story, all of our characters will be X. We yeah. know where the game is ending. It is about the journey to get there. It might be mm-hmm. everybody is dead. It might be we have all beat, you know, we have all solved this particular problem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we've all retired, whatever. This also happens in a lot of session zeros when talking about lines and veils. Mm-hmm. Yes. We all equally know that XYZ is not going to get brought up. Mm-hmm. This is information that we now all have. So we know at the very least what, what the GM is not planning for. Yeah, well, hopefully. And, and if, it, if yeah. it, assuming they are adhering to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, so, and that's a lot of information. And, and beyond that, uh, there's also, I want my character to have this arc. Mm-hmm. I want our group as a whole to have this type of arc. That is a really crucial piece of information that if you are doing your session zero well, I think should be kind of necessary. So this just um, happened when we were planning our Star Wars game. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a little bit of a plot. Of, so just let me give you the quick rundown of this game. This is Star Wars after Return of the Jedi. The Empire is mostly held together still by various admirals, but is starting to fall apart. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Emperor is dead. And the Rebellion is trying to transition to the New Republic. And we are uh, part, basically, we are former employees of some corporation, because there's a lot of corporations in Star Wars Expanded Universe stuff. And those corporations are not always nice, and a lot of them sort of leaned toward the Empire. Well, we were member, you know, personnel or various other people involved with this little out-of-the-way mining station slash fueling depot out in the middle of nowhere that now is rather important because it's a mining station and it's a fueling depot kind of on the border between the remnants of the Empire and the New Republic or the Rebellion, whichever they're calling themselves this week. And we just threw out the corporations because they were getting real abusive And there was basically a mutiny, and now we have declared ourselves independent. Great. Hmm. One of the things we very specifically said was we don't want to be involved with the huts. Hmm. Okay. The huts might show up, but, like, we don't want to work for the huts. Well, guess what? That just took a huge swath of plots off the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the huts are pretty influential in Star they're, Wars. They're a big yeah, part of the Star Wars story because of the whole, you know, smuggling, Wild West, space cowboy kind of thing that is inherent to a lot of Star Wars, right? It's pulp action, mm-hmm. you know. 
And that's great. And there's a, I was going to say there's a lot of good stories about that. That's not true. There are some fine stories told about that in Star Wars. There's a few good ones and a bunch of expounded universe stuff. But, you know, we're, we're looking forward to telling our own there. But we didn't want that element involved because it's a little stereotypical and we just had some issues with it. So we're doing something else. And nobody really does stuff with, like, the corporations. And we figured, you know what? We all kind of like cyberpunk. This is not exactly cyberpunk, but it's got certain elements of that. And we've got this whole jockeying for power kind of thing. And we have set ourselves up as a pawn that a lot of great powers are fighting over. How do we play that to our advantage? That seems fun. But when we set out, this is what we don't want, and there were a few other things we didn't want as well, that defined a bunch of stuff. And we did all of that together, collaboratively, explaining what we wanted and what we didn't want. And that was invaluable. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Jenny, where we're saying, we're not going to be dealing with any of this. That's off the table. And we all know that when we sit down for session one, and we will know that at the last session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we talk about safety techniques and stuff, and that that is definitely a subset of this. But I think a lot of the time, in fact, actually, we had a discussion about this in our Discord earlier in the week. Like, it is okay in session zero to put some pretty hard parameters on a game. Mm-hmm. Like, because um, I mentioned this in the, the Discord discussion, but... Not everybody's in the Discord. Although if you are not in our Discord, you should be in our Discord. Mm -hmm. Game writers and designers necessarily have to write settings as pretty broad things that you can tell a lot of different types of story in, right? Yeah. In Mm -hmm. fact, it's one of the big signs of a heartbreaker kind of game where it's like, well, I wanted to write a game that, you know, tells exactly these kinds of stories, but is as big as a a game and, and setting that is designed to contain as many stories as possible. Yeah, I, sh- I should like back that up and, and caveat that because you've made an excellent point there. There are a few games that are designed to tell like one specific story, Mountain mm-hmm. Witch, for instance. Yeah. Uh, but those tend to be indie games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, they're, if you're looking they're certainly at, small games. Yeah, if you're, if you're looking at um, like a larger RPG, particularly something that's stuck around long enough to put out supplemental material... You can tell all kinds of stories in it, right? I mean, just look at D&D. You can do like your standard classic D&D module like we're doing. The Eberron campaign is like fantasy noir. Um, the game that I'm running on Sundays is very like exploration and politics based. Mm-hmm. And those games all feel very differently from each other. You can, and it is like it is not only valid, but valuable to sit down at the beginning of a campaign that you're going to be using one of these larger systems for and say, this is the type of story that we want to tell, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, to, to use an example from the conversation in the Discord, we want to use this World of Darkness game, but we want the characters to be steadfastly heroic, and we don't want a lot of, like, PC mortality and we definitely don't want our NPCs fridged, you know, like this is this is going to be a very specific kind of like action horror style of campaign. And we're just going to go ahead and indicate that up front. Yes. Or, you know, we really want like the the really, you know, grim, bleak thing where every time, you know, you 
do poorly in something, your character's existence is on the line because, you know, our group really likes that kind of like, you know, building tension. How long do I get to keep this PC kind of a thing? That's valid, too, as long as everybody's on board. By setting those kinds of strict parameters, even something as simple as we're in Star Wars, but we don't want to deal with the huts. Well, that gives you a lot of information that you can make decisions based around as you're going forward. You know, it's like, since we said we don't want to deal with the huts, well, you know, if we're in a jam, I better go to some other crime syndicate or something if that's what I want to do, because we've already said that we don't want to deal with the huts and the other players will be annoyed if I subvert that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's... And as that, a GM, that kind of pre-planning is good. <laughs> as a GM, I also love constraints because thinking of you know, thinking of what to put on a blank piece of paper is very difficult. When yeah. I have a lot of constraints, it makes it easier. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've been going at this for like an hour and a half. Do we have any final thoughts? Uh, Not really. I think I've got enough to edit here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I suspect this is a controversial topic. I do. Yeah. And. I, like I said at the top, I know it's not going to suit every group and every player, but I suspect people will be like, well, it certainly doesn't suit me, and here's why. And I want to hear those reasons why, and you can tweet those to us, right? We're on Twitter, at Saving the Game. You can Facebook, you can put them on our Facebook page. We're on Facebook as Saving the Game. You can join our Discord, talk about them there, right? If you go to our website, stgcast.org, you'll find the episode, you'll find the show notes that we talk about. You find a comment section there if you want to talk about them there, but you'll also find a link to our Discord, which is a chat room full of wonderful people, all of whom are probably talking about this right now as you're listening, if you're listening to this like <laughs> in the first day or two, uh, you know, having a conversation about this, and it's going to be a good conversation because they're good people in there. Yeah. A lot of smart folks. So, please, follow us on Twitter, follow us on uh, Facebook, join our Discord, Share this episode out. I want to hear your opinions. Reply to us. You know, have that conversation because I'm looking forward to that. And also, yeah, you know, share this episode around. Get other people's opinions on it. That helps a lot. And I'm genuinely interested in other people's opinions, not just like our listeners, but like friends of listeners and, and you know, the social networks of those listeners. I want to hear what people think of this idea. Yeah, because this does cut against a lot of kind of traditions and established wisdom in particularly the trad uh, RPG space. Yeah, I think you see a lot of it in the indie framework, but it's always framed as an explicit thing in the game and not just a thing we do. Yeah. So, yeah, it is unusual still. The, the last thing I'd like people to do is review us. Review us on iTunes, review us on Podchaser, you know, review us anywhere else you can because reviews help enormously and that helps, it helps us rise up, get more eyes, get more ears and grow our audience to reach more people, which is wonderful. Yes. All right. Uh, I believe next week we are doing more alignments. Is that right? Uh, next episode, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and then we're going to have Chaotic Good, and we'll have a guest for that, yes, hopefully. Yes, looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license, our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. 
Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at Nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.